welcome to The Straw Hat with Rabbi David Wolkenfeld and Rabbinate Goldie Guy. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. So we wanted to speak about Mishnah Club this week. Uh, we have a Mishnah Club participant who uh, we uh, have on the podcast, so we wanted to start by describing the program, what some of our goals are, and, and also not just goals and the program, but also um, a little bit about the content. Like, the, we want the podcast to be a Torah podcast, so let's have some content as well. So um, let's, yeah, let's describe Mishnah Club, what we do, and, um, and what we're learning. All right, so Mishnah Club, well, the idea behind Mishnah Club is kind of encapsulated in the title, right? It's like Mishnah, serious learning, uh, and there are like pedagogical goals of mine that are uh, giving kids the tools to identify parts of Mishnah, what does Mishnah do, who's in the Mishnah, what are the teachers, and what's Mishnah concerned with, what's the project of Mishnah, and how to read it. And then there's the club part, which is hanging out at shul, and, and... learning Torah with friends and having fun while learning Torah. So the sum total of it is that Torah learning becomes part of these kids' lives and is like a fun after-school activity for them, uh, and which I think is, is what's happening. And it's a place where you kind of, where they're engaging seriously in Torah and building friendship through Torah, uh, which is, has been like kind of the most meaningful Torah experiences of my life is where I've built friendships through Torah and those relationships are really deep and meaningful and I kind of wanted to model that uh, yeah and, and, and it's that's how we see the shul right you want the shul <laughs> to be a uh, place for them to build Jewish community and to develop friendships that distinct from their siblings distinct from their friends at school that the shul should also be a place where friendships are cultivated and strengthened and where they meet people um, and that the shul should be a place of Torah learning, not just what they do, not just a class at school, uh, not just something they might do with a parent, but something they do um, with peers uh, at their shul, with the uh, educators on staff of their shul are teaching them, and uh, and that, that that's the piece of it. So this is like a reimagined, we had a Mishmar program two years ago. Um, this is like the post-COVID reimagining <laughs> of, of that. It's a little more... Um, condensed. Condensed, yes, condensed. And uh, I've been really, really happy to see. We have a nice group of middle school kids who are learning with you every weekend. Yeah. I have, we have a group of fourth graders and one third grader yeah. uh, who, uh, <laughs> uh, as well who are learning with me each week, and, and it's, it's great. Like we, 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 like They've come got in, some kids in between who are coming in and out. They're not there. They, we have a sixth grader. Sixth grade in, yeah, in, in Chicago is middle school. Oh, okay. Not, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in, I, I was, I was, I was not in middle school until seventh grade, but here. It's really confusing to me also whenever we break up the groups because I taught fifth grade before I came here, and that was part of a middle school. Oh, anyway, I so see, I keep I telling see. the kids, and they're like, no, those are the little kids. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for any fifth graders listening. Yeah, um. yeah. It's, so, it's so interesting. It's so like, it, you see, like, as the kids get older, they mature, and that's you can notice that as a teacher, as a parent, or whatever, like as an observer, you see that, but also it's a little bit arbitrary at the same yeah. time. The, um, yeah. We treat them all like big kids. That's also part of it is, right, that they are they can do serious uh, Torah learning and be engaged with Torah in a really meaningful way, even as kids, right, that they are they can have these tools, they can have deep discussions even if they don't yet have the, the literacy. Uh, and that's kind of what I want to show them is that the Mishnah is talking about stuff that we encounter in the everyday, which so, is why so, so, yeah, so tell I us chose, that, yeah. <laughs> like that transition, which is why I chose Masech uh, Bava Metziah. We're learning the second chapter of Bava Metziah in Mishnah. Uh, which is about returning lost objects and the mitzvah of returning lost objects, 
the mitzvah both on the, um, well, there's obligations both on the finder and the person who lost the object to kind of figure out how to get to each other. Um, it's about relationships between people and our responsibility to other people and their, and their stuff. Uh, and it's about respect for our property and our, what's our, how do we relate to our property in general. Um, and how, where does God figure into all of that? Right? How does God uh, manifest in our mitzvot, ben adam lechavero, in our interpersonal mitzvot? Where, um, Can you say a little bit more about that? Because I, you know, I don't have the advantage <laughs> of I, I don't get to study. With, I, I use your source sheets, your worksheets, and I, I'm with the younger kids while you're with the middle school. Can you say a little more? Yeah. I think you can do this with the younger kids too, but like something that we brought up uh, what, uh, this past week was that um, right, the, the person who finds the object has a responsibility to make sure that as many people as possible yeah. know that the object, um, that he found the object, that they found the object, that so that the person who lost it can plausibly meet up with that person and say, I lost so-and-so object, I lost my bracelet, it had this charm on it, right, I can tell that it's mine, I gave my C money, my identifying factors, right, we don't want to give away lost objects to, to people who aren't the rightful owners. Um, but so there's the, the obligation of the finder to go during the pilgrimage holiday when the most people are gathered at the temple um, and, and announce, I found, I found a lost object. If you lost anything, come and see me and give your identifying uh, uh, traits of the object and, and claim your ownership. Um, but the Mishnah interestingly frames it in terms of this pilgrimage festival in a time when, or perhaps at a time when, or speaking to an audience that doesn't have the pilgrimage festival anymore because the Beit HaMikdash no longer exists. Now, we have the festival, just no, no pilgrimage. Correct. We don't have the, the pilgrimage aspect of the pilgrimage festival, right? The regel is no longer involving your regel so much. <laughs> um, uh, and so it's really interesting that the Mishnah would phrase it this way. Instead of, you know, go to a place with a large amount of people, like how we would phrase it in contemporary halacha, right? We'd say, like, go to shul and announce it. After shul, I found something. Please come to me if you lost anything. Or put an ad in the paper or write it on Facebook that I found something, come to me if you lost anything. The, the Mishnah could have easily said, announce it in, in the most public way possible to reach the most amount of people. And instead it says, when the Beit HaMikdash is no longer standing, right? It says, come, come at the time of the Beit HaMikdash when we're all gathered for this festival to, to, um, to uh, worship God in, in uh, the central place of worship in Yerushalayim. And... Um, a teacher of mine taught it this way that the, my teacher Judy Goshen teaches that this is kind of like a hint of the editors of the Mishnah saying there's there is uh, an aspect of redemption and an aspect of divine uh, of revelation that we would see in the gathering at the temple in the act of returning a lost object right reuniting a person with their lost object making that effort to and showing that you care about the other so is think, it yeah. is a form of revelation of saying i care right this is a mitzvah in god's torah and this is god manifesting through the mitzvot ben adam lechavero so we bring a little bit of redemption to the world when we when we treat others with respect when we treat others property with respect and this of course is in a small literary aspect of yeah, the mishnah so I'm, right I'm just, I'm thinking, so it's a quite yeah. you'd have to find you can track it in other places how often does the mishnah frame you know, obligations in terms of of the Beit Hamikdash when the Beit Hamikdash is not standing. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about like what you know, 
it's like when you think of the Beit Hamikdash, right? It's the place where heaven and earth meet. It's the place where yeah. God's presence, you know, rests on earth. It's a place where people yeah. go to worship God through korbanot and filot and to meet God and, in the and, most direct way. And it's also a place for returning lost objects, yes. right? And, and so it's like really, it's really interesting. That, that's a really, that's like a powerful um, right. statement about like, right? This most holy place is also where we gather to get. Yeah, it, 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 no, that's you know if. Uh, if someone were so inclined and wanted to, like, you know, turn this into, like, a little, you know, drusha direction, you would say, you know, like, our, so too, our migdash mat, our little shuls are also a place. And, like, yeah, it's exactly. a place of prayer and study. It's also a place for, for meeting human needs and, and, and being responsible for one another and, and turning up for one another, finding out, right, like, who um, somebody shows up in shul with their arm in a sling, so that's okay. They might need some help with something, and how can yeah. we help them with that? Or, uh, you know, they're in... in um, in, there was like a, I think in medieval Ashkenaz, there was a custom that if you, you had any member of the community had the right to stop tefillot in shul, if there was somebody who like had, who like owed him money or something or like hadn't like responded <laughs> to some claim, like you could like, I, you know, oh, right no. before Barcho, you could like, stop, stop, tefillot cannot, because like, you know, Chaim Shmerel, you know, owes me $25 and we cannot, you know, until I, I want my answer, you know, it's really interesting. Can you imagine if we applied that to like, you haven't <laughs> replied to my email from three weeks ago, that would, that would. Take a while. We had we had a uh, an old old family friend, a very close uh, friend uh, friend of my father's, who uh, lost a jacket in shul. I think like somebody else like took home his jacket, which is like a pretty easy thing to happen. Happened had to my family. The same too. Uh, same jacket. Yeah. So so he like and he, week after week he said like you check somebody has my jacket. You know you have my jacket and you know and uh, nothing happened. So he finally got exasperated. He like held up the matching pants. And said, take the pants as well, okay? <laughs> like, you, you have the coat, you might oh as well my. have the full suit. And then I think that, like, shamed the guy into, like, checking the labels, and he got his That's suit back. So, yeah. Um, no, but that's, I think, the, the overall message of saying, right, the, that we're in, when we come together around tefillah, around learning, it's, it's, and the relationships that are formed through that, it makes our relationships sacred relationships. It underscores the sacred uh, aspect of our relationships that exists no matter what, right, of, in the interpersonal, but... When it's centered around shul life, I think it brings it home, really, of saying, you know, meeting your friend in shul or, and, and checking in on them because you're at Tfilot together and you're like, oh, God is here in this other person. That's great. That's great. So we'll get to hear from uh, a Mishnah Club participant. She may not say it like that, <laughs> <laughs> but, she's, she, she's, she's learning, but she's getting the message. She's been learning, she's been learning, she's been learning with me, so it's a little bit less. A little less uh, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm sure she gets that too. <laughs> Let's God talk a little bit more. Uh, don't stick your pencils up your nose. You know, <laughs> you know different, different ages. You know. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> this is actually a good parsha, parsha mishpatim for like Tersha Balpeh for the oral Torah. We really see it um, uh, coming out in force in the mitzvot of the Torah. And, and uh, I, um, I always think back of parsha mishpatim like in that in this context. I took a course in in college on. Um, like modern Jewish Bible commentary, which really f- was focusing on like the 19th century renaissance of Orthodox hmm. Bible commentary, and hmm. the entire syllabus was was Parsha Mishpatim and Parsha Kedoshim, like really like the one chapter of Mishpatim and one parak of Parsha Kedoshim, which was wow. very like filled with mitzvot, and we had to do you know Rashi and Ibn Ezra, and then we had to do you know all of the like this like resurgence of Orthodox Bible, Kedavah Kabbalah, and the Nitziv, and the um, Tartimima, and the Malvim, 
And is that why you quote the Nativ all the time? That that is that is maybe no, it is not. That, that, that is, <laughs> it's not. I, I would I, if I had to say that's when I was like first introduced to the Nativ. It's not true because I I was introduced to the Nativ in Yeshiva before I went to college. But I um, uh, but I came to appreciate his his agenda from that class. And there was this um, you know the, the, this like over and and the teacher of the answer to mention the teacher of the class was. Um, was Jay Harris, who wrote a very, very influential book, influential, not influential to me, <laughs> okay. a book called, called uh, um, How Do We Know This? But it's back in print now, so it must be hmm. influential to other people as well, uh, which is about, like, it's the history of this question of how do we know this, Minayan, what is the relationship between the written Torah and the oral Torah, which Love is uh, like this major, major topic of the Gemara yeah. and the Halakhic Midrashim, and then, at very, and then it's all the Rishonim have to the medieval Torah commentaries and the and have to like d- d- relate to this question as well. And it becomes in the modern period, he he argues in this book, like a defining feature of the emergence of orthodoxy in the 19th century is like this renewed interest in this question and defending the relationship between the oral Torah and the written Torah because mm-hmm. we the way we live our lives is based on the oral Torah. Yeah. Uh, and. The written Torah, the Chumash, is um, doesn't doesn't say very much at all about how we observe Shabbos, and says thing you know the, the plain sense meaning of the Chumash is sometimes different from the Halakha in some really important ways, um, like an eye for an eye, for right. example, <laughs> famously in Pasha Mishpatim. So so we um, so we have to figure, so and at various times in history, like rabbinic Judaism has been attacked for you know corrupting the original meaning of the written Torah. And so it became really important for Sam Rafael Hirsch and the Nitziv and Tavik Kabbalah and the Malvim to like, no, no, actually like here is like a really sophisticated understanding of the words. And now you see how the oral Torah is actually connected to and mm. kind of uh, come from or, or alludes back to uh, the, the written Torah. So, um, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like that. Now that we're in like these like meaty, Mitzvah-laden um, parshia, uh, sort of you should have, you come to appreciate like oh yeah like you learn about mitzia like now okay like this is parshia mishpatim like this is like yeah. we should tell our the students to like uh, make sure they're in shul this week for parshia mishpatim because this is the you know you know this is what they're they're or one of them I guess it's also in, in uh, kitetse but it's you know this these are, this is a this is a um, seder nizikin mm-hmm. uh, relevant parsha and um, mm-hmm. but not with the psukim alone the psukim as they're understood by or as the you know with the with the the, the lens of the oral Torah as well. Right. I think making it make sense, the fact that the, right, I teach, um, or just an image that comes to mind of how I teach the relationship between the Torah Shabbat and the Torah Shabbat there's like a, an image of two hands next to each other in the workbook that I used to use. And I'm like, oh, that's how I, so that's how I presented it to, to my Mishnah Club students. And, um, but you really do have to present like a compelling case of, here's how the rabbis were staying loyal to the text that really what they say goes hand in hand with what the text actually means to convey, mm-hmm. even if it's not what it literally says. So I guess I was raised in that tradition as well of teachers who were arguing for that in a strong way. It's really interesting because, you know, I think at one point, you know, 200 years ago, the people, you know, challenging traditional Judaism or orthodoxy would say, oh, like the rabbis, the ancient rabbis were corrupting the pure meaning of the biblical text. I think now uh, there's like a trope of, oh, the rabbis were like super creative. Yeah. They, you know, we're like, it was great. They like, you know, totally reinvented Judaism, you know. And I, like, yeah, and I Look think, at their power. Yeah, Look at their... Yeah, and I think like, yeah, no. Like, you know, I think like if you believe in 
that the oral yeah. Torah was also from God, was also revealed. I think that there's a range of ways to understand that. Right, that they say, really go hand in hand yes. somehow, and we're really missing it if yes, we did, yes. don't understand the deeper connection. Yeah, so. and, and they're different. Like, I think, my, if, I, you know, if I'm yeah. recalling correctly, I think, you know, you have, like, on the one hand, you have the Malbim, who is, like, amazing. He thinks that if you... He believes he's discovered, like, the deepest rules of biblical Hebrew grammar, such that, awesome. you know, <laughs> like, if you really... You know, like, this is why. You know, this is how it means that really, 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 if you really understood. And, and he tells you all the rules, and he explains it there. And so if, if you're, like, a Malbim guy... You know, or a woman, you know, like you're done. Like you don't have to read any other commentary ever because he like solved it. You know, like he he explains exactly how the rabbinic uh, midrashim like emerged from like a really deep understanding of the text. Yeah. Um, I think there are others who would you know like Samuel Hirsch who says um, who also like has very like creative and deep readings of the psukim, but he uh, he he gives the analogy that you know the the written Torah is, is like really secondary to the oral Torah. Like the written Torah is like mm. the it's like the, um, in comparison to like the, the notes you take in lecture. Yes. yes right? Like, you I've know, heard that. right? So the oral Torah, that's like comprehensive. That's the full lecture, <laughs> all the information we need, how to keep Shabbos, how to observe Kashu, how to live our lives. And then the written Torah is like, oh, yeah, God just gave you, these are like some notes. You know, it's, it's like the, these, it's, the uh, what do you call it? the uh, the PowerPoint you know like yeah. the, you know here's the PowerPoint you know that'll help you jog your memory and remember the full lecture, mm. um, which is really like downplaying the written Torah, which is really kind of a, somewhat counterintuitive, but like yeah. But, but it, it serves the purpose of helping us appreciate the written Torah, even if we can't understand exactly how it, you know, emerges directly from the written Torah. Right, but that's the importance of the Minayan word. That's what we always, so that's be something if I had a Gemara club, that'd mm-hmm. be the next phase, right? They'd learn all the key words and what they do and how they function. So the Minayan always says, we're going to... We're, we show deference to the to the most authoritative source, which is the Torah, and you ha- always have to figure out Minayan. How does this come from mm-hmm. the Torah itself? This is Rabbani Goldie, and it is January thirteenth, uh, and I'm here with Shira Berkowitz doing uh, a little interview post Mishnah Club. So thank you so much, Shira, for being here. Uh- Okay, yeah, like it did take a little time to get here, but I'm glad we finally got here. (laughs) I'm so glad that you're here with us. So Shira is a participant in our new Mishnah Club, and uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you like about Mishnah Club, what we're learning. Well, um, uh, we learn a lot of things since, like, we've only just... Since, like, there's only been, like, a few weeks of it, we haven't gotten to all the things that it said, but, like, that the emo said about it, but, like, I'm pretty sure we still will get to it. Like, I really like how it said, like, also, even if we didn't get to it, like, we, like, we still got pizza. So, like, we get to, like, read texts, and, like, when you translate, it doesn't just need to be in words. Like, you can also do pictures. Hmm. Okay, so we're learning we're learning Mishnah Baba Metzia. We're learning about lost objects, and sometimes we learn it and we explain it with with different words. And sometimes we explain what the Mishnah is teaching with pictures. Yeah, we've also done some games together. It's been really fun. Yeah. Plus, I think what you said you really love is the pizza. Yes, I do yes. love the pizza. What about being with your friends? Well, that was good. Like, so like usually like we're just like eating and stuff, but like sometimes like we well we usually talk. So Mishnah Club is also about having fun with your friends yes, and you is. get to come to shul and have a good time and see each other during the week and make Torah learning a part of your week, which is really exciting. Now, Shira, besides Mishnah Club, what are some other programs or uh, events that you love going to at shul? Well, I'm 
a high holidays, like it's really fun. Ooh. Like there are questions. And also, I really love Kiddish, especially when it's sponsored. That there is a very good movie. <laughs> okay, you love Kiddish. I know when we talked a little bit before, uh you mentioned you mentioned some other classes that you like going to at Shul. Yeah, like groups. Ooh, you like going to groups. Yeah. What group are you in? Um, uh, one of the ANUs. I don't, I can't really <laughs> keep track. How many are there? One of the I think you're in, uh, Narenu. Yeah, I'm pretty Yeah, I think you're in Narenu. That means, uh, our, our youth, our youth. Also, I like how, like, like the seniors have pictures so that the pictures can, te- so, like, if you're not sure, maybe, some, maybe the pictures can tell you, like, like, for the I'm pre- pretty sure, like, there's a kid learning, but, but like um uh, on Oshes Shalom, I'm pretty like there's a dog with holding an olive branch and that oh. kind of meant peace. That's lovely. So you it, like the Koran the Koran youth seedream that we use yeah. during groups. You like that. What if you have one last thing to say about ASVI, which you said you've been going to your whole life as long as you can remember? Uh, one last thing that you love about mm. about Shul about this community. It has more than just like if like it has events, not like just like. Like, there was a barbecue and stuff. Like, there were, like it wasn't just pray, do sure things, like, do Jewish things. Like, we ha- we had events, too. Like, there like are the barbecues. Party. Hanukkah parties. It's and, a like, lot of there fun. There are ev- events, not just, like, okay, we had to come to shul to do Jewish stuff. It's, like, events. It's a place where you both learn Torah and Davin, and you have fun. Like, like, the barbecue, like, it was like you, there was face paint that didn't just go on your face. There was you like the face yeah. painting. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad. We'll bring it back. We'll bring it back next time. Okay, thank you so much, Shira, for joining us today. Yeah, it was fun. And I hope to see you again next week at Mishnah Club. Yeah, yeah, I probably will. And on Shabbat before then. Yes. So we have a um, guest scholar this this Shabbat, and it's. Um, you know, I, I guess as we're recording this, the sort of the, please God, the continued uh, tail end of the Omicron wave and people are drifting back to shul. So hopefully this will encourage a few more people to drift back to shul. Uh, it's a little different schedule than our typical uh, Scotland resident schedule. We're not having a dinner in shul because I think a lot of folks are not yet having big dinners. And uh, as we're recording this, we haven't yet been authorized by our medical task force to resume in, indoor eating. Uh, so he is going to speak, though, Friday night before dinner, like meaning after tefillot on Friday night, before you go home, you'll stay in shul for a little bit and there'll be a lecture. So, you know, if you're listening to this, like just trying to like get that information out to everyone who needs to hear it, uh, <laughs> your dinner's going to be a little bit delayed Friday night. It's still the winter. It'll be a really early dinner. It's fine. But, you know, you're going to go to this lecture first. Um, and the topic is really cool. The, it's the the third base of English that never was. I, I also in college learned about this <laughs> <laughs> from uh, a different course, uh, Professor Gaffney, who's a... a cool. Lovely, lovely man who is a professor at Hebrew University, but he used to come to Harvard every couple of years and and teach like a, as a guest visiting lecturer, and um, so it was like an ancient Judaism class. And so Julian, who was a uh, Roman emperor who um, wanted to roll back, you know, after the Roman Empire converted to Christianity, there you know Julian emerged, and he's like, no, that was a mistake, mm-hmm. and uh, he wanted to like revert to like the ancient Roman pagan religion. And he thought a way to undermine Christianity was to rebuild the base of Migdash. Because like the Christian said, look, you know, like God has rejected the base of Migdash. God has rejected the Jews. And so he said, oh, all right, I'll rebuild the base of Migdash. And he actually started to do so. 
Uh, and then he was defeated in battle against the Parthians, you know, in Mesopotamia, mm. and nothing ever came of it. And you know, two thousand years later, you know, we still are waiting Here for the are. for the base of Migdash. Uh, Professor Gaffney, I think, pointed out like it's really interesting that this like it sounds like a kind of big deal that like the Roman emperor like tried to rebuild the base of Migdash, and they started construction. And this is not recorded as far as. I remember anywhere in rabbinic literature, like this, huh. this memory of this event has not been preserved in Jewish sources, at least, to, at least not in the Talmud, is the best of my recollection. Right. Um, so, that's kind of an interesting question. Like, it seems like a big, big deal for Jewish history, and it, we don't, we didn't pres- preserve that memory in a major way. So, I, that's the topic of <laughs> Rabbi Dr. Summerzuki's lecture. I should have said something. I should have introduced. He, he's, he's a, he's an old friend. We were in the Gush together. I was in the Gush in 2008 as a. My last year learning for smicha, I was taking my final smicha exams, learning in yeshiva in Israel, applying for jobs, and uh, and then eventually coming back to America and starting a job. He was still um, after high school in that, at that point. I think it was his maybe third year in yeshiva after high school. <laughs> he had stayed for a while. He was so he was young and and was already like a very um devoted talmud of lichtenstein yeah like in his shear and like and and not just in his shear but like thriving in his shear and Mm -hmm. and understanding and i think when he you know he had i think bavarin wrote like his recommendation letters when he like applied to stuff afterward like they were a very very close relationship even you know he's probably the youngest person or among to among the youngest people to have still had that kind of really, really close mm. Rebbe Talmud relationship with or looking scenes at Sal who died, you know, mm. just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since then he's, he went to he was learning at um, finished college and he was uh, in Smicha at Yeshiva University and in the Kolo there and the advanced post Smicha program there. And then he also got a graduate degree in um, I think um, I think religion. So so he's like a a doctorate. A doctorate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, not a, not just a graduate degree, a, a, a PhD. In fact, <laughs> um, and and so he's uh, yeah. Yeah, he taught a he taught a lunchtime shear at Columbia when I was an undergrad in the, in the small room in the back of the cafeteria. Right. So I, I went to that sometimes. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> and I was his uh, his wife is also an accomplished scholar and a lawyer. Um, and I was her chavruta. Oh, very nice. Uh, for my first year of the graduate program at, at Stern. Oh, lovely. Yeah. She is not joining him this this. Yeah, this sorry, way. not part of the. But they they are you know pretty cool. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Together. He, he has a fellowship at at Notre Dame, so he is in the Midwest uh, for much of the week this winter, and so this is a ch- and he flies through Chicago on his way back home to New Jersey. So this is a chance for him to so like. We're excited to have him. Stop off, yeah. yeah. So we're very very excited to have him uh, for for this weekend. And those who listen, you know, will please. Oh, and the other the other thing I'll say, sorry, um, about this unusual schedule because of, you know, everything being everything. Uh, he, we also scheduled a Zoom presentation that will be on Sunday. So um, and it's, those of you who are not able to hear him live, you can um, listen to him lecture on Sunday morning. And we're going to have a viewing party at the shul on Sunday morning if you want to have that sort of hybrid experience or you can in the comfort of your own home or whatever you can listen uh, so I hope we'll really take advantage of this he's a special scholar he's a, he's a mensch and, and a, so a good person so I encourage people to learn um, and, and join us we wanted to take a moment uh, this podcast to just say some words in memory of a teacher and role model and mentor of ours uh, who died this week? Rabbi Simcha Kraus uh, was, for you know, half a century, a leading figure in American modern orthodoxy. Uh, his um, 
career began uh, as uh, in Utica, New York, and then from there he went <laughs> to St. Louis, where he served very successfully as a rabbi for 12 years before um, ending his rabbinic congregational career as a rabbi in Hillcrest, Queens. I think he was there for 30 years or something, a very, very long time. Uh, After retiring from the congregation, he and his wife made Aliyah, and there he would join the faculty of Yeshivat Eretz Tzvi, where he, you know, taught you know, several iterations worth of, of students who really appreciate having such a distinguished scholar and experienced rabbi on their faculty. Uh, in his youth, he had studied with Rav Soloveitchik and with Rav Huttner, um, two of the leading lights of mid-20th century, uh, you know, Torah and, and, and uh, the things he learned from them and his appreciation for them really was filtered through his own teaching. And then in uh, um, the last years of his life, he directed in the, or was you know, senior rabbi at the International Beit Din, which uh, is a Beit Din that takes the cases that others, others won't take, uh, really turning every, leaving no stone unturned to free Agunot and to, uh, you know, sort of looking at precedent that exists in Halakha that isn't always used as freely or, and, and just finding ways to, to free women from abusive marriages that, that, need, that need work. Um, I first met him because our wives were paired together as Chafrutza and Trisha. Esther Krauss had just retired from being the founding head of school at Mayanot High School, yeah. and I guess she like joined the scholar circle at Trisha, and uh, so so <laughs> and somehow Sarah got paired with her as Chafrutza, and they became you know I think yeah they became very friendly, and uh, and so we got invited to to spend Shabbat at their home in Hillcrest, and then in subsequent trips to Israel we. We, and we lived in Israel, I guess, that, that year. That, um, the next time we lived in Israel, we were neighbors of them, and we had a lot of Shabbat meals together. He was very helpful to me as I was figuring out um, like my first uh, rabbinic position at Princeton. He was he, during a very stressful period of time when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, or at least the next that <laughs> step of my life. He was very encouraging and, and, and provided a lot of wise, wise wisdom and uh, uh, just always just very just caring, caring person, cared about his students. Uh, one other memory I'll share, he, he came to Princeton while we worked there. I don't remember the circumstances of what he was, like how he how it came to be that he and his wife were in Princeton mm-hmm. over Cholomoet's Pesach. I, I don't, maybe they're passing through or something, but Cholomoet Pesach is Rosal Levechik's yard site. So we asked him to speak uh, for the students um, you know, about Rosal Levechik. And I vividly remember what he said. Uh, and and uh, I guess it's sort of relevant to Dafyomi, so I'll share it right now. You can say he um, he talked about why is it that uh, Yantif cancels uh, mourning? Okay, right? Mm-hmm. Yantif when a holiday occurs, if somebody's in Shiva, you know, someone's buried, God forbid, two days before Pesach, Pesach comes, then Shiva is canceled. And he, why would that be? Because you know, Shiva is about sitting on the floor not wearing shoes, and celebrating on Yantif is about eating good food. So why can't you sit on the floor without shoes and eat good food? You could do both, okay? You could do both. And the halakha doesn't allow for that. And, and Rav Krauss said, echoing Rav with a tremendous amount of passion, that the halakha is expressing an inner emotional state. And, it, and, and, and yes, you could sit on the floor and eat good food, but that's not what, the point is not the external markers. The point is the internal... Uh, emotional state that the mitzvah is supposed to generate and inculcate, and th- yeah. those two emotional states are not consistent, and that's why right. Yantif cancels shiva. And he shared, he spoke about, you know, he shared with such enthusiasm and passion. Somebody who 
was in that shear in Princeton, you know, hearing him speak about it. So they said, you know, somebody mm-hmm. who grew up in a, you know, metropolitan, uh, modern Orthodox community for, you know, who heard Rosalavechik quoted to them, you know, throughout their childhood and into their adulthood, you know, came out of that presentation of Krauss and said to me, oh, like now I like really appreciate, you know, what Rosalavechik was accomplishing in his college. But now mm-hmm. it sort of, it clicked for me hearing Rabbi Krauss speak about him with so much love and passion and, and, and you know, speak in that way. Just what's been my, I, I also knew Rabbi Kraus through Esther. Esther was, uh, a, who is Shatibodel Chaim Arukim, a lifelong learner of Torah after being a Torah pioneer for women and, and breaking ground and giving women the Torah education they deserve. Um, <laughs> she's just a wonderful human. Um, and so I like I always had a sense I, I I was around him somewhat, and like I you know I when I worked at SAR like I saw him in the coffee shop and I would talk to him and I just always felt completely humbled and confused by the humility of this great man uh, who just wanted to chat about what I was learning or teaching and um, and through reading the eulogies and tributes of his students and the friends who are his students, I've just been really, really struck by his great humility and care for every student that he had. And how he, uh, you know, the stories of listening to him, that, that he introduced himself to children as, you know, hi, I'm Simcha, mm-hmm. you know, that, like, that's, it's just mind blowing to think of all the, like, not only was he trailblazing and, and caring for, people in their most vulnerable times and caring for the people who might have been, you know, uh, downtrodden by halakha and trying to find solutions for them and ca- caring for the most vulnerable. He also was just a regular human and he that's how he walked around in the world. And that, that balance of, of doing great things with your Torah knowledge and caring for people and being the embodiment of, of chesed and kindness, like a loving, kind God, while also just being a human others yes so right. they're, they're like great people who are really lousy people so <laughs> people who accompl- yeah yeah no it's the people maybe that are great scholars and the moves their touch with people and like that he is the embodiment of what torah is supposed to make yeah, you or they're great right? leaders and they're so and, and they leave right and the human touch is, is lost or the person so, yeah, yeah. it's so unique yeah. and and such a loss for the jewish people of course for his family for his students and for the jewish people at large yeah